The Physician's Road. Create your life in medicine, on your own terms. Today, we are on the path to wealth. Today, on the Physician's Road podcast, we talk to Brian London, host of the New Orleans Investment Conference, the longest running investment conference in the United States. I will be attending again this year and want to invite you out to join me. We'll also talk about the basics of gold, silver, and precious metals, how to buy them, why to buy them, and how to effectively speculate in them to make money. Go to goldnewsletter.com forward slash TPR if you want to get the last remaining tickets to the conference or want a discount subscription to Gold Newsletter. That's goldnewsletter.com forward slash TPR like the physician's rule. The Physician's Road is brought to you by Vernonville Asset Management. Vernonville Asset Management was created to help physicians build wealth and create income beyond Wall Street. Through our exclusive private investments, doctors can begin to free themselves from the burdensome regulations in healthcare by creating income streams independent of medicine. Go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get your free report, Wall Street's Biggest Lie. Again, go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get Wall Street's Biggest Lie and free yourself today. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Eric Tate. We're back again on the Physicians Road podcast. Today, we're on the path to wealth, and I'm happy to introduce you all to Brian London. He is the editor, uh, writer at Gold Newsletter. He's also the proprietor of the New Orleans Investment Conference, the longest-running investment conference uh, in the United States. And so, many of you have asked kind of how do I keep abreast of kind of geopolitics and kind of macroeconomics, well, I spent a lot of time going to conferences. And so I met Brian back in 2014 when we first went to the New Orleans Investment Conference. And it was, it was eye-opening for me because I had no um, information or understanding of the, of the minings and metal space. Um, and so Brian's conference is a place where you can go and in a four-day period get an immense amount of knowledge about kind of a very important industry within the United States. And so it's one of those places where you can get a lot of information packed together um, in a short amount of time from very, very high level experts. So just to give you a sense, uh, the year, first year that I went, um, Alan Greenspan was the keynote speaker. So we're talking about people who, whose actual thoughts and writings and decisions move worldwide markets. And so I want to introduce Brian to everyone. And Brian's going to kind of tell you a little bit about himself, about his newsletter, and about the conference itself. So Brian, welcome to the Physician's Road. Thank you, Eric. Great to be with you. Absolutely. So kind of give, give, give our listeners a little bit of your background, kind of your experience in the industry, um, and why should a busy physician or other healthcare professional care about this industry? Well, I started in the industry in 1985, about 33 years ago now, a full third of a century at this point. But I started off as a writer analyst for a, a guy named Jim Blanchard, who was known as the original gold bug, who, who really was the uh, primary precipitating factor in getting gold legalized again for American citizens in the early 1970s. Um, it used to be illegal for us to actually own gold as American citizens. But he got that legalized. He started something called Gold Newsletter to inform uh, investors and Americans about uh, gold, why it was valuable, why it was necessary for wealth preservation in, in, uh, in, an, in an inflationary era. 
And uh, as he got, or as it became obvious that, that gold was going to be legalized, that the legislation was going to pass, he decided to have an investment conference to teach Americans how to invest in gold. They had no experience in the subject because, again, it was like, you know, investing in plutonium. It, it was, you couldn't legally own it. So they had no experience, had the conference, and it was a resounding success. Uh, but he started inviting the biggest and best experts in the world, the biggest names, celebrity-type uh, authorities to the event. And over the years, we've had, as you mentioned, Alan Greenspan a number of times. Um, we've had uh, Lady Margaret Thatcher, Ayn Rand, Barry Goldwater, F.A. Hayek, Milton Friedman, and the list goes on and on, uh, which is a wonderful thing. Um, and a curse for me now running the conference, having seceded <laughs> from Jim Blanchett, because I have to go out and find these speakers. But we've managed to do it. Um, and it really is an incredible event uh, for experienced investors and novices alike. It's, it's kind of a fast track to get up to date on what's going on in the world and geopolitics, what's going on in the economy, U.S. and globally, and what you need to do to prepare for these trends. And, of course, we've always had... A, a kind of a common theme or or, uh, or or thread throughout the events on gold and precious metals and in their role in a, a, a really diversified, properly balanced investment portfolio. Okay, well, actually, let's let's dig on dig in on that a little bit. So, in your mind, um, what is the role of gold and precious metals in a properly diversified portfolio? I think that's what what listeners are really going to want to know because this isn't something that they're told by kind of mainstream Wall Street and kind of um, so, in your mind, what does that look like? Well, you know, there, there is a speculative aspect for people who want to get into trading and then mining shares and offer leverage, et cetera. But what I try to tell people uh, from a novice perspective, beginning perspective, is every serious investor who has considerable assets at risk needs to have a precious metal component, a physical precious metals component to protect those assets. And it's insurance, but it's insurance not against a possibility, it's insurance against an inevitability that the currency, then in this case the dollar for most of your uh, listeners, will be debased over time. That's, it's, that's not anything that remains in doubt, uh, only the, the timing and the degree and the, the speed of that depreciation remains in question, but it's going to happen. It, uh, it actually has happened if you look at uh, uh, from 1965, you know, they took silver out of the U.S. coinage. From that point till today, the dollar's lost 88% of its purchasing power. And that's by the government's own admittedly very conservative estimates. It's really considerably more than that. So, you know, if you look back over history, the dollar has already been nearly destroyed through debasement of the currency. We just really haven't felt it that much in everyday life. You know, historians look back and they see that a similar type depreciation of the Roman denarius really caused that empire to fall or was an effect of that empire falling. So we're living through a period like that um, to some degree. Now, my personal view is that that trend is going to accelerate because of the, the very large debt that we have right now. There's no way to address that debt without... Uh, some depreciation of the U.S. dollar. So it's something that that investors, any investor, anyone with, with serious assets at risk or, or deployed in the markets needs to have probably 5 to 10% of that their, their value, their net asset value, 
deployed in physical precious metals. Okay. And we probably need to have just a podcast on kind of debasement of currencies and a historical perspective of that. But let's take it to the third grade level. When you say debasement of a currency, what does that mean exactly? It means that the government is putting out more currency. Now, literally, they can do that with a the, with the keystroke and have been doing that. Uh, but they put out more currency to make the currency less valuable. When you have, in our case, nearly $22 trillion of debt, that's unmanageable. You can't grow your way out of that. You can't pay it off by raising taxes. Obviously, there's no political way to cut spending to, to try and gain ground on that debt. The only thing that the government can do is to make that debt cheaper by creating more of the currency unit, in this case, the dollar, so that every dollar already out there in circulation, its value gets diluted by the new ones being injected. So with more dollars, that debt becomes less valuable. Uh, and, and it's not, that's nothing new. Again, it's happened in every civilization in human history. Eventually, governments overspend, whether through wars or entitlements or whatever. They, it's just a natural human nature. They create debts that are unmanageable and they depreciate the currencies. And so if someone is listening for the news, when you say kind of more keystrokes, more currency being created, if someone is trying to figure out if that's happening, what, what things in the news should they be listening for? What are the things that, that, that would denote to them that, oh, this is what Brian was talking about in terms of debasement of the currency? Well, the classic sign, the classic symptom of this underlying disease is retail price inflation. And of course, we saw that in the 1970s. You know, Nixon essentially closed or cut off the connection between the dollar and gold in 1971. And all of a sudden, these central bankers were like uh, teenagers. They got keys to the car and a bottle of Jack Daniels, and they could do whatever they want. And they kind of careened out of control in the 1970s. Ever since, they've been a little bit more circumspect about it, but they've generally increased the money supply, generally flooded liquidity into the markets whenever there was any kind of an economic downturn. And we're just starting to see what, what that's happened. The accumulation of that has led to today when we have $21, 22000000000000 trillion debts, <clears throat> when we have interest rates at, at literally near 5,000-year lows, the lowest levels in human history. So how do you get out of that when you've, you know, you've created all this liquidity? We have not yet seen a retail price component, inflationary component to all of this. Uh, primarily, the, the effects of all of this liquidity and all this currency being created has been felt in the financial markets. It's inflated uh, the stock market. It's, it's reinflated, inflated, then reinflated the uh, housing values, um, real estate values. So that's where we've seen it so far. Um, I think retail price inflation We've seen growing pressures, uh, first signs of those kinds of pressures. So I think that's on the way as well. Okay. And so basically from what I'm hearing you say is we're looking at how during, I guess the most recent time would be during the Great Recession. Um, we watched kind of the Federal Reserve um, in the United States and central banks around the world do what is known as quantitative easing, which is just kind of lowering interest rates like you talked about, which has then re-inflated prices of financial assets. Um, potentially real estate assets, depending on kind of what markets you're looking at. Um, mm -hmm. And this is an increase in the, no in the number of currency units, whether it be yen, whether it be dollars, whether it be 
Remin B, that around the world, the amount of currency is increasing, but yeah. the same amount of assets are staying the same. And so prices are going up. Would that be a fair assessment? That would be. And I, and I you bring up what I think is a, an important difference today. You know, I, I talk about how this has happened over and over again through literally thousands of years of human history, but there's an important difference today. In the past, when, when a single government has, has overspent and their debt's gotten out of control, they've been able to depreciate their currency, lower the value of that debt, and in the process, gain an economic or trade advantage over their competitors by lowering the value of their currency, the relative value of their currency. Today, because we have a globalized economy, it's different in that every major developed economy is in the same boat. So they're all racing toward the bottom of the hill. Sometimes one is ahead of the other and they, they, they lag and, and exceed, but somebody's winning the race, somebody's losing the race, but they're all headed in the same direction to the bottom of the hill. So at that point, when all the currencies are being devalued, then what are they being devalued against? And the, the, the lesson is real things, uh, historically gold, silver to some extent, real estate, tangible things that, that tend to increase in value as the value of currencies or the purchasing power of currencies decrease. Yep, absolutely. And so people wonder kind of how I am well-versed in some of these, these economic things. It's because I go to conferences like yours. That's the only real reason why um, I know or have an idea of kind of how these things work is because I'm exposed to people who typically aren't in the mainstream that can teach you actually what's happening when you're looking at the news. The news gives you one view of it, but if you understand the economics behind the, the news, I always like to say, you can really understand what's going on. I want to kind of thank you for, you know, continuing this kind of conference because it allows people who don't necessarily have an economics degree to understand kind of what's going on in the world. So right now we're talking about trade wars and all these different kinds of things, but it all fits back to exactly what you talk about and in terms of your conference. And so I, I really want to appreciate Thank you for that and appreciate what you've done with that. And so let's talk about kind of the precious metals. So gold, silver, what does a lay person who doesn't necessarily invest in those types of things or use them as insurance, what are the most common misconceptions out there about them that, that the average person kind of holds and kind of, can you dispel some of those? Well, I, I think that mainstream uh, investment analysts, you know, Wall Street types typically disparage gold and silver. They look at it as a as any other commodity that's very cyclical, and it is cyclical because the markets do run in cycles, and investor sentiment and fears run in cycles as well. Um, but they tend to disparage so-called gold bugs for uh, for investing in gold and for always being kind of doom and gloomers and thinking you know the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Um, one of the the big because of that and an offshoot of that is. One of the big misconceptions is that if there are any kind of geopolitical flashpoints around the world, some kind of little crisis or, you know, an, or a military skirmish or, or, you know, some kind of an, uh, a flashpoint, that that's a good time to buy gold. In fact, that's a lousy time to buy gold. You should never buy gold based on anything that's happening geopolitically, et cetera. It may be smart for, for people in those specific affected areas to own gold, but there's no reason for gold prices to go up. The thing that really drives gold over the long term is monetary our monetary concerns, primarily debasement of the of currencies over time. You know, when the uh, when the Federal Reserve came in at, after the Great Recession and started throwing money at the problem, 
real, you know, trying to put the fire out with just ocean loads of liquidity, uh, that was a great time to buy gold. Gold uh, approximately doubled in price, or actually more than doubled in price from the depths of the 2008 recession uh, to 2011. And, uh, and it was a great investment at that point in time. When you have those kinds of concerns, it, it's a great time to own gold as an investment, as a trade. Uh, the best time to own gold as insurance is essentially yesterday. You know, you need to have it in place. Um, you buy fire insurance, not because you think your home is going to catch on fire, but in case it does. You buy gold because you know the currency is going to be debased over time. Got it. And so just to kind of walk that back. So what I'm hearing you say is that there are two ways to, 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 to use gold and probably any financial asset. One is from an insurance standpoint, meaning as a percentage of your portfolio, as your portfolio grows, your percentage of owning gold and other precious metals should grow along with it. So price is kind of immaterial at the point at which you're going to buy that. Um, and then there's the, the ability to speculate or trade around gold based upon potential geopolitical um, things that are happening in the marketplace. A little bit more sophisticated understanding you need to have with that. Um, but the way people tend to talk about gold is in terms of pricing and kind of what it's doing in terms of movement, which is immaterial for those who are using it for insurance, but is material for those who want to trade it as they would trade any other kind of financial asset from a speculative standpoint. Would that be fair? Exactly. And, and it takes some education even to buy gold just as a physical uh, insurance aspect. Um, it takes a lot more education to get into it on a speculative level. And, uh, and that's why you go to conferences like mine. That's why you subscribe to newsletters. And, uh, you know, there are easy ways to find out about that. I have on our uh, website, I have a free report, 30-page report, The Investor's Guide to Gold and Silver. Anybody can click on that and get a, a real, really good objective overview. I, I list all of the conferences that they should attend, not just mine, all of the best newsletters out there, not just mine. So okay. great. So I'll put, a, I will actually put a link. Um, and actually we could probably put on a link in the, on the page that, that we're going to set up. So uh, we'll make sure that that's in the show notes so people can get directly to it. But I do want to give you a plug for your newsletter because you write the gold newsletter, right? So I'm, you, yeah. you teach people how to do these types of things. And, and we're going to let you talk about that uh, towards the end. And so now let's talk about gold and silver. Gold, I don't want to say gold versus silver, but let's talk about gold and silver from an education standpoint, um, what does the, what's kind of the difference between the two um, metals in terms of their function in the marketplace um, from a financial kind of asset class? Sure, standpoint? Sure. Gold is, is the primary monetary metal. It doesn't have much in industrial use. Silver is its uh, uh, poor cousin, as it were. Uh, it's cheaper, a bit more abundant as far as uh, coinage and bullion coinage. Um, and it has, silver has somewhat of an industrial component to it as well. But I tell people to ignore that industrial component. If, if silver was based on purely its industrial uses, it would be about one third its current price. Um, and, and it really is monetary metal. Silver moves further than gold. It offers leverage to gold in whatever direction gold is going. Gold's going downward, silver's gonna go down more generally. Uh, if gold, gold's going up, it's going to outperform gold and move more on a percentage basis than gold. So I tell people, if you like gold, you have to love silver. Um, and it really is as simple as, as that. There are little individual quirks uh, in, in each market. 
but very generally, if you're in a strong gold bull market, you want to own silver because it's going to move more. It's also a bit more of a convenient metal. Um, it's you, you can get it in smaller denominations from a bullion coin aspect. So if it ever comes to the point, and I don't think it ever will, but if there is a really uh, emergency situation where you have to actually spend your bullion, uh, silver is much, has much greater utility for that than gold. And just to round everything out, what other metals are considered precious metals? Just so we, so people can understand yeah. from an educational standpoint, what, what else falls into the, into the precious metals basket? Platinum and palladium primarily, um, the PGM platinum group metals. Uh, they do have more industrial usages. Their, their current values are based primarily on their industrial usages and primarily on their usage as uh, uh, catalytic converters for automobiles. So they're largely driven by automobile demand. The growing economy puts stress on those, those two metals. Uh, palladium's been a star performer. It's actually uh, priced higher than platinum for some time now, which is an historical rarity. Uh, but it's is kind of an artifact of what's been going on in the automobile industry that it's tooled up for palladium for gasoline catalytic converters years ago. And, and when we had all the issues with diesel, platinum was still used in diesel. And now diesel is falling by the wayside. So platinum demand has fallen off a bit. Okay. Uh, those are two, those are areas where I would recommend people look at them as more speculative metals rather than monetary insurance-based precious metals. All right, great. So now let's talk about uh, new investors to the space. They're, they're coming into this world. They're curious. So let's talk about metals and mining space from, a, from an investment slash speculation perspective. So let's just start with, um, let's just start with speculation because I guess that's where a lot of people tend to play. Um, and, you know, what are the different ways to play speculation wise? You know, people hear about junior miners and royalty companies and all these different types of things in the space. What would be kind of a primer for you to tell somebody about kind of how to how to speculate in the minings and metal space? Well, there's a there's a broad spectrum, as you can imagine. And you have low risk being bullion on one end and you have high risk being, say, features and options on the other end. Um, I, I would not recommend that anyone who is uh, a novice uh, get into futures and options because 80 percent of options trades. It's a little known, dirty little secret. 80% of the trades are, are, are losers for anyone who doesn't do it professionally. Um, but uh, the metals and mining sector is where you can get leverage on the moves in metals uh, because their values, a mining company's earnings, uh, rise much more quickly uh, if gold prices are going up. Um, and, uh, and there are junior miners, companies that are out there exploring for precious metals deposits or other types of mineral deposits. They're either exploring or developing a find, a discovery. That's a fun area. It's an area that uh, does have its cycles. And when it's really moving, um, I liking it, liken it to being on a winning streak in craps. They're throwing money at you. Uh, when the cycle turns down, you want to get out the way because, again, it's like craps. They're, they're pulling the money out of your pockets, and it's huge money flows. But when it's going well, as it was from about 2001 through, through 2011, there were really extraordinary profits being made. It's been hit and miss since then in the market. There have been some big winners, but generally it's been in a uh, uh, down to sideways uh, uh, kind of a trend. 
I think that's starting to change now. I see a lot of values that are good long-term values right now in that market that are going to really rise quickly once the metals uh, post a consistent rebound. Okay. And so that's kind of the junior miners. Now we hear about royalty companies, kind mm-hmm. of what are those and kind of kind of where do they fall on the risk spectrum and kind of yep. what does that look like? Those are companies that kind of bypass all the operational issues with mines. It, uh, smart financiers will give a miner a, a loan of you know, capital when they need it to develop a mine and retain a royalty that is basically off the top off of the sales uh, to the smelter when they actually, when the, uh, the miner gets paid for their gold or silver or copper, the royalty company gets a set percentage of that revenue. Um, so they don't have to worry about all those other issues. They don't have to worry about whether margins are being squeezed at the miner because of rising energy prices or anything. They just get a portion off the top. For that reason, royalty companies are, are valued by the market at a higher uh, multiple uh, over earnings than, than other operating companies. The key with those is to find them at the, the bottom of a cycle um, and or as they're starting. Um, and we've recommended a, a few in Gold Newsletter over the years that have done very well. It's a great way to, uh, to buy metals. It's a great way to get leveraged to metals, but you have to buy them right. Got it. And so I'm assuming your newsletter can t- teach people how to do that. We won't go into the weeds uh, on kind of the tops of the cycles versus the bottom of the cycles. I just want to clarify that a royalty is just a payment that someone gets um, pretty much off the top yeah. Um, so it's kind of like artists get a royalty payment from when their music is played. So it's just, exactly. they are putting money into the company, but they're not operating the company. Um, and once the company starts creating, um, finding metals and selling them to people, they get their money off the top, but they're not in the operations uh, of the company. So let's move on to the, to the conference, this year's conference. So mm-hmm. is there a specific theme for this year's conference? What can people expect, um, if they're going to attend? Um, what do you have in store for people? Well, no specific theme because we like to cover everything, okay. every, every major market, every sector, whatever's going on in the economy. And if we had to come up with a theme, we would have to have done it you know, six or eight months ago and, and started our marketing based around it, in which case it would have almost invariably become a moot point by the time the conference rolled around. So we really react to what's going on in the markets. We bring in the top experts out there. Uh, in every sector, you know, over the past five years or so, we've started to focus on real estate a good bit and cover that sector with our relationship with the real estate guys and that whole sector and tribe. And And we've been very fortunate to feature Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, now he's coming back for his second year speaking. Uh, we also have Mark Stein, Jonah Goldberg covering a lot of the geopolitical areas. We have uh, James Grant, who is the smartest guy out there, the most eloquent and entertaining uh, market analyst, I think, uh, out there today. We have Doug Casey, who I like to call as your friendly neighborhood anarcho-capitalist. He's, he is a, a classic muckraker in, in the, uh, the vein of H.L. Mencken and a uh, really brilliant guy. Uh, we have Peter Schiff. We have Dennis Gartman. We have uh, Guy Adami. Um, and the list goes on and on. We have dozens upon dozens of today's top experts in every sector. And again, with a particular emphasis on metals and mining and and the opportunities there, as well as, again, real estate. Great. And so now tell us a little about Gold Newsletter. 
Um, what what can a subscriber expect to get in Gold Newsletter? What, what does that look like? Well, Gold Newsletter, I think, is about the best deal out there. You know, for a couple hundred dollars a year, um, we they get 12 issues commenting on every aspect of the market, the economy, geopolitics, everything that can affect gold, but it also affects every other sector. You know, we've had uh, great calls recently on the, the trends for the dollar, uh, interest rates. Uh, we, we, we do comment on the, uh, the economy and the issues with the debt. And then we drill down into precious metals, which are, are moving or we think should move the most. And we cover somewhere between 20 and 30 mining stocks um, over the over the sector and uh, in each issue. We've had some some nice action in that sector is some companies are making some big discoveries within our portfolio. We've had one over the last month that's quadrupled in value. Um, again, though, this is a very speculative area. Uh, investors need to, to learn about it, educate themselves about it. But it is out there, and it's a, it's a way for uh, traders or investors to get a little more juice in their portfolios. Got it. Yeah, now I'm a big fan of, you know, people having some kind of speculative bucket in their portfolio, but being clear that they understand that speculation and investing are two very different kinds of things. And so the, the, the ability to have, you know, five to 10% of your portfolio in a speculative um, vehicle, whatever that may be, right, um, yep. I, I think is, is very kind of prudent and is, is a good way to kind of asset allocate from that standpoint. And so, um, and so, yeah, so what I appreciate about this podcast, we made it evergreen. So what I'm going to do is put the dates for the conference this year uh, mm-hmm. on the on the show notes. But you can go ahead and, and what are the dates and kind of how, how many days are going to be covered? And, and we'll go from there. Uh, November 1st through 4th. We start on a Thursday and go through a Sunday this year. It's uh, in New Orleans at the Hilton Riverside, right on, uh, as the name would indicate, on the river and close to the French Quarter. It's a, it's a remarkable experience, Eric, as you know. It's, it's not just the ability to see some of these top experts and hear the views that, uh, from our stage that they won't t- say on television or in print, but also to meet these top experts in the halls, ask them your questions. Um, I obviously can't promise that because who knows if they're going to be out there but I can say that every year that they, they have been and, 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 and attendees have had the ability to talk to some of these real giants of the industry and, and big names personally. Uh, but also the attendees, the, uh, the people that are all around you in the audience and going to our social events. These are all very smart people. They're, they're uh, the tops of their sectors in business and industry. And they're very smart investors. They have a lot of information to share and they're very willing to share it. And, and that's one of the greatest values that we can offer people. Oh, and I can, I can absolutely wholeheartedly say that, yes, um, I've talked to m- many of the main stage speakers just in the hallways at, you know, at different, different of your lunch breakout sessions. Um, everyone is very accessible. And most of the learning I do is actually from other attendees and from many of your exhibitors as well. Um, because um, your exhibit hall has these miners, has the people in the industry, and you can begin to see patterns when you're going from booth to booth 
as to what people are doing, what are the, um, the driving factors and forces behind many of these different types of uh, potential speculative um, plays that are out there. And so um, I'm looking forward to, 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 to being down there. And so I, I will be there again for, I guess this is my fourth or fifth year at this point in time. So, um, and I guess with that, we'll just wrap it up. Is there anything you want to say to the listeners before we get out of here? Well, just if they want to attend this year's conference, they really should move quickly because our room block is expiring in about a week, I believe. Um, and and uh, it's really tough to get a room this time of year in New Orleans. So uh, the, the, being in the convenient host hotel is a, is a big advantage. And yep. we encourage them to, to act as soon as they can. Yes, we'll get this out um, fairly immediately. And so what, what we've done is created a a website where you can go and, and get a link to be able to register and get into the host hotel. So it's goldnewsletter.com forward slash TPR. So like the physician's road. So T is in Tom, P is in Paul, R is in Robert. So goldnewsletter.com forward slash TPR. And you'll be able to uh, on that site, register for the conference. You'll also be able to get a discount for the gold newsletter as well. Um, I want to thank Brian London for being on the Physicians Road podcast today. We hope to have him back and, and drill down into some more kind of economic topics in the future. But I really wanted to promote, help him promote the conference because this is one of the conferences that I go to every year to increase my investing knowledge. And so if you have any questions at all, you can always email us at feedback at thephysiciansroad.com. That's feedback at thephysiciansroad.com. And as always, please go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or the podcast platform of your choice. Subscribe, and please give us a rating. Um, five stars, of course, is always best so we can get higher ratings to get to more physicians, but give an honest rating. And you can always check us out on our Facebook group as well. Go to Facebook, and you just put in the Physicians Road in groups, and you'll see us there, and you just answer the questions, and we'll let you in where we have much more in-depth discussions about these topics. So I want to thank everyone for listening to the Physicians Road podcast, where you create your life in medicine. Today, we've been on the path to wealth. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. The Physician's Road is brought to you by Vernonville Asset Management. Vernonville Asset Management was created to help physicians build wealth and create income beyond Wall Street. Through our exclusive private investments, doctors can begin to free themselves from the burdensome regulations in healthcare by creating income streams independent of medicine. Go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get your free report, Wall Street's Biggest Lie. Again, go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get Wall Street's Biggest Lie and free yourself today. Thank you for listening to The Physician's Road, where you create your life in medicine on your own terms. Please go to thephysiciansroad.com and sign up for your free guides and resources.